Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dominica Di Leto, founder and chief executive of Emerging Communications United Kingdom, a communications firm specializing in the Chinese market. Dominica, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Interesting, especially at the moment. <laughs> um, I think anybody can be a manager of large groups of people. But leadership for me, we very much, or I very much run the company along the values that we agree with are the fabric of emerging communications. And one of those big values is trust. And to that end, we very much work within our own groove. So all of my directors that report into me for the various divisions will split their time working in the office, either London or China, and also working flexibly at home to whatever works for them, especially in light of the fact that we're dealing with multiple time zones and clients and staff all over the world. And the other thing that's really important is around trust, sort of a trust element of my team is to really empower the team that they know what it is that they have to do. So very clear KPIs so that they can just literally get on and do their job. And um, all too often when I speak to other CEOs and MDs, they say, oh, I'm having such a problem with so-and-so. Um, they, just, they just don't tell me what they're doing. And for me, I just don't think that is a way to lead mm. a very senior individual. I'm not dealing with junior individuals. And um, another thing that's just really, really important is to that end, because we all work very flexibly. I might meet up with my line reports once or twice a fortnight. It's really, really important that we have the right technology to support that so we can see each other. And we do a lot of video conferencing and a, and a lot of, of technology to support that flexible working environment. That's just one of the ways that I think it's really important to lead by trust. Let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you were first starting out in the working world. Were there any particular influences on you, whether it be a set of circumstances or an individual who shaped the way that you lead today? Oh, that's a really interesting one. I would say through my career less so. My father is quite instrumental in who I am. My dad's also an entrepreneur. I was one of these people, uh, Richard Branson's a bit of a hero of mine, and Richard Branson, I believe, has dyslexia. I have quite a significant ADD. And I learned very, very early on that I had to be in a very senior management position to get a PA. Now, we're talking back to the 1990s here, where you used to have a typing pool and a PA. And I learned that if I was in fairly middle to senior management, quite young in my 20s, I'd get support so that I could do the things I wanted to do, mm -hmm. which is strategy and client relationships. I wouldn't have to sit there and type up letters and contracts. So what I did learn very, very quickly was what I wasn't good at and what I didn't want to do. And I do spend quite a lot of time with my senior management board on figuring out how we are going to delegate the things they're not good at. And I would say to anybody, if you can get rid of the things that you're not good at and focus on your strengths, your life will completely change. And I do remember a boss saying that to me when I was about 26 at the Daily Mail Group, saying, Domenica, you clearly don't like the minutiae. I suggest we take it off of you. Mm -hmm. And so I've, from that day onwards, I've spent my life trying to find myself off of jobs I don't like. And I think that that is very, very good advice to anybody. 
Well, absolutely. It gives you more time to concentrate on the things that you uh, you enjoy and that you're good at. Uh, it's absolutely. a perfectly reasonable way of going. What's the advice absolutely. that you give to young people when they're first entering work? I would say to any youngster, and I say this to my family and to my daughter, figure out your strengths and very, very, very early. And don't necessarily go, oh, I'm really good at that. What's that going to lead to into a career? Because that will happen by accident a lot of the time. But if you can figure out your strengths, that naturally will be what you're good at. So if, if, for example, you're a very, very good linguist, how can you use that in the workplace? If you're very analytical and you're very good at math, how can you use that in the workplace? Because mm-hmm. it's worth bearing in mind that the jobs that were available to me 30-odd years ago um, most of them don't exist anymore. And the jobs that my daughter will do when she graduates university aren't even invented yet. And being an agile individual that focuses on your strength in different environments, different sectors and different workplaces is going to make you a lot more employable. Um, and not just to focus on academics either. I'm afraid when I recruit, yes, everybody I'm recruiting has a degree, most have postgrads, but I'm actually looking for can they cope with conflict? How good a team player are they? Can they abide by our values? Do they fit in the culture of the company? Are they likable? These things are actually a lot more important because you need to be able to work with these people day in and day out. And so I say to youngsters, and I did quite a lot of young enterprise work at A-level sort of age groups a couple of years ago, and I'd say to them, look, with the best will in the world, best degree in the world, you have to be likable. That's what's going to get you a job. That's what's going to make you go a long way in life. If, if, if people want to spend time with you, you'll be chosen for the right team. You'll have a much, 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 much better time along the way. So really do focus on what your strengths are and the sort of people you want to hang around with. That's really, really important. How do you handle conflict within the office? Oh, now, mm, my nemesis. Talk about weaknesses here. Uh, so I don't like conflict. And I am the person that um, all of the individuals in the office, no, no matter what level of seniority, when it gets escalated, go to Manica. We need to go to Manica because she'll make sure the conflict doesn't happen. I'm one of those people that negotiates for a living and I love it. And so I'm the person that avoids the conflict by making everybody happy and having a win-win situation. Now, that is not real life. And quite often, it doesn't work like that. And um, you'll have a member of staff who's not performing and they need help and they need guidance. And you have to have a very frank conversation. There is a thing of sort of delivering a sandwich. I'm not going to use the right words because it's quite rude. But I do believe that if you are in a conflict situation, there's two things. One is to focus on somebody, what they're doing well first before you actually talk about what they're doing badly. It does shift a little bit. Um, the second thing is to rehearse it, and that sounds ludicrous, but it works. And the third thing, and this is something a coach taught me years ago, is you actually get yourself in a really good mental place where you are really calm and very happy, and that will emanate in your conversation. So even if the person that you're delivering the news to becomes quite aggressive, you'll find that it will massively temper it. What I would not suggest is to match behavior in this instance. So you might do that in a self context, but I certainly wouldn't match behavior if I was having a very difficult conversation with somebody. And that also goes with a client as well, where you're having a conversation that's not entirely uh, much fun when somebody's not paid or, or something like that. Yeah. 
Now, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Sorry, the greatest leaders. That the, greatest, are... the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Uh, for me, I am really fond of Richard Branson. I think that he's very, very clever. Um, in as much that he very much focuses on his strengths and he's always got individuals to do the doing and he's very much a leader and I would say that's one of the most important things about leadership is to be able to look, look down on an organisation, find the holes, be strategic. You can't do that if you're doing the day-to-day. I also think Winston Churchill, whilst I never met him and obviously I wasn't even alive when he was in power, was an incredible individual and they're both very, very different individuals or examples of views mm-hmm. there. But being a true leader is being able to empower and inspire your teams even on the days where you really don't want to be empower, you know, inspiring because you're having a bad day. You can't have a bad day. Um, you have to just get on with it and I think they are two very, very inspirational characters and very different. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Emergent Communications? Well, uh, we're just uh, right in the middle of a virus at the moment, although I have to say that um, it's now as much of an issue for our inbound as it is for our in-market. That's been something we've had to come up with some very quick and agile solutions to. Um, I would say post-Brexit, Education to brands and understanding the China opportunity is a really big thing that we're focusing on a lot more speaking sort of podcasts and that sort of thing. And um, just, in all honesty, continuing to expand and inspire the team, both in London and China. I'm looking for additional offices within China and also looking at an additional location within the UK. There's quite a lot going on at the moment, but it, it's all good. And well, it's it all sounds exciting. like a very exciting time. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. And I very much hope you come back on the program at some point in the near future. and We can go further in depth. Dominica, thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. That was Dominica DiLeato, founder and chief executive of Emerging Communications UK. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two 
uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before. Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better and anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries, because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world? Th those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time... Uh, as Home Section in government. Um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children. By inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, 
we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Oh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. I completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities... They know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper. And I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable and I suppose the ability to listen not just for its own sake mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts ideas ways forward from everyone around you I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game 
Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after no, week. No, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um (laughs) but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, thing? I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it. If they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm. Prime Minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the Cabinet, as I speak at the moment, people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa a, for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah.
Uh, that's and also I should add that is how uh, Leaders of All Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what? Um, oh well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, "I'm I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why." Not quite uh, <laughs> uh, the um, and I think that one of the great things about uh, the Lee's Castle, especially, is that. Um, it takes and talks to people, but again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end... You've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us, it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit 
uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandy or, or Keir. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us God today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.